focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Han Dan and Son Myung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. All right, so we are going to talk exactly about that. It's uh, talk of the town, talk of the country, except uh, if you wanted to message that to people, you probably had a hard time doing that because Kakao Talk was down for the most part of, uh, in fact, all of Saturday. In fact, uh, we still have some issues with this uh, in and out. Uh, but uh, again, this is because uh, there was a massive fire at the data center. Uh, of course, where all the data is uh, compiled and, uh, uh, I guess, stored for Kakao Talk and its affiliated services, uh, really just shows uh, how much we really rely on Kakao Talk and the company in itself. Tan, uh, let's first uh, talk about the disruptions that it caused. That's right, SJ. It made us realize how dependent South Korea was on a single private tech giant, Kakao Corporation. And we're talking about not just any country, but South Korea, one of the world's most wired nations, both some of the highest IT technologies. First of all, Kakao Talk, a messaging app with over 47 million users nationwide, was disrupted due to the fire that broke out at around 3.20 p.m. on Saturday at SKCNC that houses the data centers for Kakao and Naver Corporation. I'm sure you've, you guys also uh, experienced the uh, malfunction of Kakao Talk on Saturday. Absolutely. I try, to, I try to send messages to my friends, my family members, some of them very urgent messages that required very urgent replies. I waited for over like 15 minutes and uh, I began to notice that something was wrong. So I looked up if there were any service disruptions mm -hmm. and it was already all over the headlines. And so I immediately switched to, you know, the general text messaging SMS, uh, that yeah. doesn't require an app. Uh, but for many others, for thousands of other people, they just needed Kakao and its affiliated services to get things done. Uh, otherwise, they had to go through a lot of time-consuming trouble uh, to get things done using uh, alternative uh, services. And so reports are coming out that some groups of people uh, are already moving quickly to file a class action against yeah, yeah. Kakao Corporation for the inconvenience and damages caused. Kakao Talk was just one of Kakao Corporation's 13 affiliated services that were disrupted. Kakao Pay, which provides various financial services such as wire transfer, securities, as well as insurance, was severed and cacao mobility service that helps users get a cab or designate a driver in case you're not able to drive yourself was also shut down Kakao shopping, games, and Webtoon services apps were also affected, plus music streaming service Melon was also stopped, while Kakao affiliate Taum, uh, one of South Korea's biggest portal sites, were partially affected as well. Naver was also partially disrupted, as its servers were also stored in the uh, SKCNC building where the fire broke out. It's been more than two days since the fire broke out, and most of the major services have now been restored and is on track to complete normalization, but criticisms mounted about one of South Korea's biggest tech giants' inability to more swiftly restore damages and normalize services. Kakao said the recovery process is taking longer than expected due to a massive server loss, and to this, some users lashed out that it's hard to believe such a huge company that monopolizes the messenger service did not even have a backup server in case of emergency. The blaze was completely put out in eight hours at around midnight 
night on Saturday and no casualties have been reported. The fire department and the National Forensic Service tentatively concluded that the fire was caused by an electrical factor around batteries stored in a room on the third basement floor. A spark from a battery was caught on a surveillance camera, which started the blaze, shutting power off the entire data center. But um, the exact cause of the spark remains unknown. Just to uh, show you how much people uh, rely on Kakao Talk, it was uh, you know I was I was at a wedding and a bunch of people there and they were all panicking because they couldn't message anybody and I said, guys, you know we have the regular text message service that you guys probably never use. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, that's right. But the biggest problem was is Kakao the company in itself. They have a whole bunch of things like Tan mentioned. They have the uh, the taxi service. They have the uh, the designated uh, driver service as well. And uh, I was at a wedding. And uh, they were going to go to an after party. And I said, you know, I'm too old for them going home. And I said, you're losing now, missing out. That was a smart move, though. Yeah, yeah. And it was like in the middle of nowhere, this wedding. in Songbukdong, right? And then uh, and uh, they're all drinking and stuff like that at the wedding. And I was like, guys, good luck having fun. They're like, uh, ha, ha, ha. I'll just call, uh, you know, Teddy Unjun, which is a designated driver. So, well, you know, what service do you use? And they said, Kaka. Well, it's not down. Uh, and then they said, well, call a cab. Well, good luck calling a cab without Kaka. And so everything was just messed up here. Everyone, of course, uh, really panicked because of this. And it really just shows us uh, how reliant we are with uh, a lot of the services that Kakao has. And I'm sure both of you guys also experienced this as well. But let's talk about um, how much the public sector actually relies on Kakao. Mian, you have more on this. Yes, so as we witnessed over the weekend, this service malfunction made it to the nation's headlines. This is an implication that Kakao Talk is deeply penetrated into our daily lives. Although Kakao is a service offered by a private online platform, uh, this messenger app has been used as an essential tool for disseminating information from the public sector as well. This is why if the fire at the data center happened during the weekdays, many observed that the huge chaos would have swept the country to almost a crisis equivalent level. So we can easily find public institutions or local authorities using Kakao Talk as part of their business-as-usual administrative work. For example, the Office of Military Manpower Administration uses Kakao Talk to send the Notice of Conscription for Military Service and Notice for Military Reserve Force Training. Now, such notice is a secondary measure to send the notice to the relevant recipients, but since the primary method of sending the notice via post is no longer commonly read and it is very difficult to check the recipient delivery status, the Office of Military Manpower Administration said that Kakao Talk can be a good substitute to avoid any disadvantage from unchecking the notice. Now, another typical example is Kupi, National Secretary provided by the Ministry of Interior and Safety. Now, the National Secretary Kupi is a service that informs various kinds of administrative information for daily life, providing 23 kinds of notification services, such as health checkup, electricity bill, and a driver's license renewal through seven private apps, including Naver, Kakao Talk, and TOS. Other notices such as traffic fines and a notification of penalty payment are also sent through these private apps. 
Now, the underlying reason for heavy reliance on these private apps is that the administrative cost for the public sector to bear in disseminating information at the end level is just too high. So the critics say that the public sector has not much choice but to rely on these private services. Yeah, another uh, interesting thing is uh, just yesterday, I believe, one of our writers, it was her birthday. And uh, what do you do when it's someone's birthday and it pops up on your cacao talk? You send them uh, a gift, right? Well, the gift thing doesn't work. Uh, and so I, the whole day I had to tell her, listen, I know it was your birthday yesterday. Uh, I'm just waiting for the service to come. And then, you know, the service did kind of uh, come back. But then you can't search anything. Like, you could only look at things and click on stuff. You can't, you know, search for right. uh, individual gifts. So I've been, uh, the whole day I've been telling our writer, listen, uh, just uh, just wait, wait, wait for your gift. It, it's, it's coming. Uh, and uh, just about everything we do seems to be somehow linked to uh, Kakao Talk, which is why there's been so much criticism over how there was no recovery procedures, how there was no backup system put in place. And of course, again, the lesson that companies must like Kakao Talk, uh, later on, maybe uh, some of these other companies that rely heavily on these heavy data, they probably learned this lesson. But tell us more on this lesson that companies must implement more rigorous disaster recovery measures to this front. Uh, Mian, you have more on this as well. Yes. So it was reported today that that the government will re-promote the plan to designate and manage private internet data centers as national disaster management facilities like broadcasting and telecommunication facilities in the wake of the cacao service failure. According to the government and industry sources, the Ministry of Science and Technology and Information is considering to repropose the amendment to the Framework Act on Broadcasting and Communications Development, which failed to pass the National Assembly two years ago. Now, the amendment requires operators to submit relevant reports to the government in the event of a disaster or service failure in the data centers and to pay a fine of up to 3% of sales or a fine for negligence in case of violation. So it also allowed the government to conduct on-site investigations if necessary. Got a bunch of messages coming in from our listeners in regards to the Kakao Talk malfunction. Benny says, two of Arirang radio shows, uh, daily, hashtag Daily K and Super K-pop. Uh, uses Kakao Talk Plus chat room. Uh, they're also having issues. Uh, they're not seeing any messages coming from listeners, uh, according to Peter and Sam, the two hosts there. Polina says, I couldn't see any message. I have to close the page and open again. Then she says, oh, that's why Sammy didn't see any of my messages. I said, you guys, you guys send messages to all these hosts and stuff like that? <laughs> Maybe we should open up our own Kakao Talk Plus or something. Uh, but again, this was a service disruption of a private company. This is not a public sector. Kakao Talk is not owned by the state, but the Minister of Science and ICT, Lee jong apologized to the public, given the vast inconvenience that caused to millions of South Korean citizens. Uh, tell, tell us more about this. Right, Minister Lee Jong-ho bowed his head to the people the day after the accident occurred, extending apology for the service disruptions. He said, as the minister in charge, he sends his deepest apology for the massive inconvenience caused to the public. Although it's a service provided by a private company, the minister apologized, considering the huge impact it had on citizens. He held a meeting with government officials, including the head of network policy at the Ministry of Science and IC. 
NCT Hong Jinbae and corporate officials including Park Song-ha of SKCNC, Hong Eun-tech of Kakao Corporation and Jong Soo-hwan of Naver Cloud to discuss countermeasures. Minister Yi emphasized that the government takes the situation very seriously as we saw how economic and social activities could be paralyzed if the stability of value-added communication services such as Kakao Talk collapses. He added after a thorough inspection to analyze the exact cause of the accident, the government will review system improvements uh, that can be made to ensure service stability of those value-added telecommunication service providers. Yeah, the thing is, uh, from what I'm, I remember uh, when we used to have a tech segment uh, here on our program, our reporter at the time was saying that uh, because uh, you know companies like Kakao and Naver, they're using so much data and they need so many places to store these data that they're uh, building these data centers uh, in like, what was it, in, in Sejong City, near Sejong City or something? And it's still in construction at this time. And so, uh, you know, this further shows that they need these backup centers. And I'm sure uh, other companies who saw the ordeal that Kakao went through and its users went through, um, they're, of course, uh, looking into measures like that. Uh, but continuing on with this uh, Kakao-driven Digital disaster. I love how this is put in place. Uh, even the president's office made a remark. President Yoon Sagir also instructing officials to work closely with Kakao to resume uh, their services quickly and fully. Uh, how is this incident spinning in the political uh, circle as well, Mian? Yes, so additional remark from President Yoon sung following his instruction from the day of the fire occurred came today's morning when he said, quote, if the market is distorted by a monopoly or serious oligopoly, and if that forms something as big as a country's basic infrastructure, I think the state should certainly take the necessary institutional steps in the interest of the people, unquote, said upon his arrival at work. President Yoon promised to work with the National Assembly to draw up necessary measures to prevent and respond to similar incidents in the future. Now, since Kakao services are like a fundamental national telecommunication network, President Yoon pointed to the country's antitrust watchdog, the Fair Trade Commission, to examine the company's monopoly issues. This has further sparked the Science ICT Broadcasting and Communications Standing Committee to summon Kim Bom-soo, the founder and chairman of Kakao, to the National Assembly audit to criticize Kakao's late response to the incident. And not only the chairman Kim Bom-soo, but the Standing Committee decided to summon the C-level from NAVA and SKCNC, who are the main stakeholders of this crash. Previously, the ruling and the opposition parties had a fierce argument over whom to be summoned and shared different opinions about summoning uh, Chairman Kim Bom-soo. The People Power Party suggested that working-level representatives should be summoned who can provide detailed explanations regarding the Kakao's crash, but the Democratic Party argued that it was a problem with the overall management system and that Kakao's owner, who is the Chairman Kim Bom-soo, should be summoned along with Lee Hye-jin, the global investment officer at Naver and Chete Wan, the chairman of SK. really shows you how big and uh, Kakao has become and uh, how reliant we have become with uh, the, the Kakao system when the, the political arena uh, gets involved uh, with this. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, with this, you know, what I was really uh, curious about, uh, of course, this all, all of this happened over the weekend, uh, Saturday, uh, most of Saturday, Kakao Talk wasn't working, any of its services working. Uh, Sunday, Kakao Talk services were kind of working, but some of these other uh, services were still not operating and things like that. But the big 
question was, what was going to happen come Monday when the stock market's open? Because I was telling my wife, I know I haven't done stocks anymore and I quit anymore. I want to see it dip down and let's buy in. And she said, don't do this. Well, listen, stocks of Cockhouse four listed companies plunged uh, on, mo on Monday to open things up uh, because of the service outage. Tell, let's talk more on how this impacted the stock markets. Right. Cacao, Cacao Games, Cacao Pay, and Cacao Bank all plunged early this morning following the service outage over the weekend. Cacao dropped over 8% to 47,201 just after the opening of the country's main Boris Kospi and closed the day at 48,351, down by around 6% from yesterday. Cacao Games, Cacao Bank and Cacao Pay all plunged by 8 to 9% from the previous session's close, with Cacao Games sliding over 7.4% to trade at 35,401, while Cacao Bank, a major online lender, also declined over 7% uh, to 16,201. Cacao Pay, a mobile payment and digital wallet service, retreated over 9% to 32,801. Uh, their shares rebounded in the afternoon, but still they ended the day with significant declines. According to the Korea Exchange, the market capitalization of Cacao affiliates, which totaled 39.6 trillion won yesterday, was slashed by 3.4 trillion won in just 10 minutes after today's opening to around 35,690 billion won. Uh, trading closed with their market cap evaporating by over 2 trillion won. Uh, SK Inc., which operates the SKCNC data center, fell nearly 6% to uh, 194,001 uh, during morning trading, while Naver lost almost 3% to 161,001 after the market opening. Yeah, the unfortunate thing with Kakao and its uh, stockholders is the fact that uh, Kakao and Kakao Bank, uh, they just weren't doing well in the first place. Uh, if you've been following the stock markets, uh, they've been on a gradual decline uh, for some time now. And this, I mean, just, and then uh, on, on Friday, I believe, uh, Kakao Talk surged something like 8.5%. And they're like, all right, recovery process, recovery process is bouncing back up. And then this happened over the weekend and did, you know, it dipped down 6% at the day's uh, trading. So uh, a lot of, uh, not, not so much great news uh, coming out in Kakao. And there's a lot of people saying that this is what happens when a certain company monopolizes a certain sector, relying too heavily on this. And in fact, a lot of investors are saying now we can't trust Kakao anymore, uh, which is why all the massive selling, not to mention, I believe, because of this uh, service disruption over the weekend, something like over 2 million people uh, deleted their Kakao accounts or something like that. Right. Many said that they're opting to choose different forms of apps, uh, such yeah. as Telegram, for instance. Yeah, Telegram. And then there's like, uh, what is it? Uh, Neighbor has Line, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then there's like WhatsApp is, is the other thing that right. they, people have been using. But uh, they're saying, listen, I mean, this is a thing that we're going through right now. Yes, we've been, uh, we're so used to using Kakao, but uh, maybe trying out other services is the big thing, right? Uh, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> Uh, interesting thing is, uh, with all this, uh, if when the service is down and a massive, you know, service like Kakao is down, uh, there are some people who kind of thought, uh-oh, is there something going on? Did the North Koreans hack uh, the system? No, it didn't. That's actually what my mother-in-law said. Uh, she thought that there was going to be like a war or something like that. And speaking of which, 
North Korea's continued provocation. We're going to talk about this. And uh, North Korea has been warning South Korea of its uh, military activities. Uh, This was followed after North Korea fired about 560 artillery shots and also short-range ballistic missiles uh, this past Friday. Let's get more details on this, Mian. Yes, so the artillery firing took place in two ways, with 170 rounds fired in the middle of the night and another 390 in the late afternoon on last Friday. South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff called the North Artillery shots a clear violation of the military agreement that was signed during the inter-Korean summit between then-South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un in Pyongyang in 2018. Now, based on the military agreement signed in 2018, the two Koreas cannot use force against each other in any case. They also agreed to not take any provocative measures to invade or attack each other's territories. In addition to North Korea's firing its first round of artillery shot, uh, North Korea launched the SRBM toward the waters off its east coast, and after half an hour of its launch, the state-controlled Korean Central News Agency, KCNA, published a statement from a spokesperson for the general staff of the Korean People's Army. The spokesperson said in a statement that, quote, according to a report on enemy movement in the front, the South Korean army conducted an artillery fire for about 10 hours near the forward defense area of the KPA 5th Corporations on October 13th, unquote. Now, this referred to a U.S. forces and Korea's joint artillery exercise at a firing range in Cholwan in Gangwon province. North Korea had the audacity to accuse South Korea of its deliberate provocations as North Korea continues to escalate the tension in the region, violating the military agreement and the UN Security Council resolutions. Considering North Korea's uh, ballistic missile launches in response to uh, South Korea's and U.S. military exercises from late last month, it is likely that we'll see the North respond similarly to the Hoguk drills in the coming weeks, with rising speculations that North Korea is expected to conduct a seventh nuclear tests sometimes is fall. All right, so let's talk about this very drill because this is the uh, the South Korean military kicking off that uh, the two-week annual outdoor drills, the Hogok drill. Uh, this is uh, aimed at boosting defense posture, enhancing joint operation capabilities against North Korea's missile and nuclear threats. Uh, Tom, let's get more uh, details on this. Right, the South Korean military launched the annual drills today to test responses to North Korea's nuclear and missile threats. The Army, Navy, and Air Force, as well as the Marine Corps, will participate participate in various outdoor exercises for the next 12 days through next Friday. Dubbed the Hukuk exercise, the annual drill is staged in the second half of every year with a focus on maintaining military readiness and enhancing joint operation capabilities. The U.S. forces will also take part in some of the exercises to check interoperability with the South Korean military. This year's exercises particularly focuses on defense training against various scenarios of North Korean threats, uh, and the joint forces will conduct actual day and night outdoor maneuvers to boost their capabilities in wartime as well as in peacetime missions. The drills come as North Korea's seventh nuclear test looms, prompting the presidential office to be in an emergency standby during the weekend. North Korea conducted a barrage of missile tests from late last month, protesting against what it called South Korea's reckless military drills, especially those conducted with the U.S. and Japan involving a U.S. aircraft 
carrier. And they also flew warplanes breaching the special reconnaissance line designated by South Korea. Pyongyang has violated the September inter-Korean military agreement and South Korea's National Intelligence Service presumes North Korea's seventh nuclear test will come sometime between the end of China's party congress and the U.S. midterm election in November. Uh, the U.S., meanwhile, has called on North Korea to seize all provocative actions, but reaffirmed that it remains open to diplomacy and dialogue. Now, this has been echoed by many top U.S. officials, uh, including uh, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby, State Department's principal deputy spokesperson Vedant Patel, as well as National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Washington has also re-emphasized uh, its commitment to defend South Korea uh, with its extended deterrence. Uh, that it remains ironclad. That's right. Now, uh, of course, the next uh, few weeks are going to be very crucial right now. Uh, we have the uh, the Communist Party's uh, f- uh, the five yearly uh, congresses, uh, their their yearly party congress. Uh, this is going to conclude on the twenty second, which means uh, in between the twenty third and uh, when the November midterm elections happen over in the United States. Uh, that's what a lot of experts are saying it might be when uh, North Korea is going to be conducting their seventh nuclear test. Uh, How South Korea is going to respond to that, how the United States is going to respond to that uh, is going to be the big question. But uh, before we talk about that, uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the very Congress meeting that that we just talked about, a major event, a political event over in China right now. China's President Xi Jinping on Sunday kicking off the Communist Party's five-yearly Congress with the lengthy, wide-ranging speech summing up the ruling party's achievements in recent years and directions for years to come here. First and foremost, what were some of the key takeaways from uh, President Xi's uh, speech? Mian, you have more on this. Yes, so in his opening speech during the 20th Congress of China's ruling Communist Party, President Xi Jinping spoke on a range of issues from national security to Taiwan to COVID control policy. To start with, uh, President Xi described the five years since the last party congress as, quote, extremely uncommon and abnormal, unquote. Uh, He mentioned safety or security 73 times compared with 55 times in 2017, according to the state news agency, and said China will strengthen its ability to build a strategic deterrent capability. She called for strengthening the ability to maintain national security, ensuring food and energy supplies, securing supply chains, improving the ability to deal with disasters and protecting personal information. The biggest applause came when she restated opposition to Taiwan independence. She said, quote, resolving the Taiwan issue is the Chinese people's own business and it is up to the Chinese people to decide, unquote. He added China will never renounce the right to use force but will strive for a peaceful resolution. Now, in its decade in power, she has set China on an increasingly authoritarian path that has more assertive diplomacy, a stronger military and intensifying pressure to seize democratically governed Taiwan. The speech, which which lasted less than two hours, was significantly shorter than his speech at the last Congress in 2017. His remarks have likely had their choice of words, workshop for months by his circle, and analysts will be poring over it for any signs of policy shifts. 
she in his third term as leader of the Chinese Communist Party will pave the way for him to become the most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. That's right. And of course, uh, in the second half of our program during issue now, we're going to be connecting with an expert uh, to talk more about his speech, not to mention the direction of China under Xi Jinping for the third term and uh, how this is going to impact all of us here on the Korean Peninsula. But I think uh, for many people, there are very uh, a lot of concerns as uh, usually Xi Jinping, when he talks, when he holds these speech, there's a lot of great deal of emphasis on the economy and uh, really driving up the economy of uh, China. But there's more emphasis on security uh, and uh, whether or not this is going to mean something moving forward, especially with Taiwan. Uh, that's the other thing to look at. Uh, in the meantime, uh, not, not surprising, but it is a very frustrating. Uh, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida uh, sent a ritual offering to the very controversial Yasukuni Shrine today. Uh, this is the fourth time since he uh, took office, uh, despite the fact that uh, the South Korean government has been really pushing for better uh, ties with uh, Japan, the government still uh, was very quick to uh, criticize the move here. Don, let's get more on this. Right. It's uh, it's always been a source of friction between Seoul and Tokyo, a symbol of Japan's imperialistic past. But that didn't stop him from visiting the shrine that also honors Class A war criminals. According to Kyoto News on Monday, Kishida sent uh, a ceremonial tree called Masakaki offering earlier today to mark the beginning of the shrine's two-day autumn festival. Kishida made the offering as a private person rather than a public figure, although the Masakaki was sent under his name as the prime minister. It marked his fourth visit since taking office last year. The shrine, which honors Japan's war dead and includes 14 Class A war criminals, is considered a symbol of Japan's military aggression and visits by state leaders are often protested by neighboring South Korea and China. Kishida will likely refrain from taking part in the shrine's autumn festival himself, but his frequent visit and offerings to the shrine is expected to negatively affect Seoul-Tokyo relations that was just beginning to thaw since the launch of the Yun administration after hitting the lowest in recent years. The South Korean government expressed deep regret and disappointment that Japan's responsible leaders made offerings and repeated their visits to the Yasukuni Shrine, which glorifies Japan's enshrined war criminals and past wartime atrocities. Seoul urged Tokyo to face history and reflect on its past mistakes. Uh, of course, uh, ever since, uh, what was it, uh, Abe paid the, he actually made an actual visit to the Yasukuni Shrine, right? And this was, what is it, 2013, there was a lot of backlash, and it wasn't until the United States said something that he stopped. And uh, when uh, former Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe was in office as the Prime Minister, he would just send rituals, and that's what all the other Prime Ministers after him did the same thing. Uh, Yoshida Suga also did the same thing. Right. Uh, prior to him being uh, the Prime Minister, he would actually go there and pay visits it, but he would send the, the, the ritual offerings. Fumio Kishida is doing the same thing. But the problem is, of course, once they leave office and they're no longer the prime minister, they go back to the, the shrine to actually pay the visit mm. there, uh, which is why it still sparks uh, quite a bit of controversy here. Uh, speaking of controversy, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, though we do have some uh, I guess some, some positive reports coming out right now. The senior vice president for Asia, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we're talking about Charles Freeman. Uh, he, he made some remarks about how South Korean electric vehicles, they should be qualified for the tax credits. Uh, tell us more about this, Mian. 
Yes, uh, Charles Freeman, a senior vice president for Asia at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, said in Washington, D.C. on the 13th that there is a possibility of exempting some provisions of IRA clause that provides tax credit only for electric vehicles that are finally assembled in North America. He added that he is very concerned about any attempt to effectively bolster domestic protectionism by leveraging the supply chain crisis, which can seriously impact U.S. allies and its partners. Now, senior VP Freeman emphasized again and again that the United States should be wary of excessive protectionism while understanding the various policies implemented in the context of national security. To this extent, yes, the Inflation Reduction Act was primarily designed to focus on U.S. domestic concerns related to inflation and addressing climate change, but has had an unintended consequences of creating friction in South Korea and U.S. relations. And at least in the short term, it has damaged the prospects for South Korean EVs in the U.S. market, and most importantly, damaged relations with the key partners for the United States with current investment commitment in EV battery production and R&D, materials and packaging facilities in the U.S., as Samsung, SK Hynix, and Hyundai in Kia announced the investment of 17 billion U.S. dollars, 15 billion U.S. dollars, and 5.5 U.S. billion dollars, respectively. So the concerns of IRA requirements have been magnified by Seoul's efforts to deepen economic cooperation with Washington, but we will have to see how the discussion unfolds between the two countries. That's right. And as we talked about uh, before, uh, that uh, I mean, there there is some hopes that uh, South Korean uh, automakers are going to get some kind of exemption here. Uh, there's been reports coming out and experts analyzing that once the uh, U.S. midterm elections over in November is done and over with, that's when uh, both in Seoul and Washington will start holding discussions in trying to come up with some kind of measure so that they could either get exempt or even, you know, just give a grace period. Because just like, uh, you know, Mian, you said, the facilities, they are building those facilities. It's just that it takes about three or four years before production can begin in these plants. And so uh, the bare minimum that they're asking for is, is, is a grace period there. Uh, nevertheless, uh, with all this, uh, we want to, that's all the time that we have right now. Uh, SJ, yeah. but before uh, we wrap up, there is yeah, yeah. one correction that I'd like to make. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida did not visit yeah, yeah. the Yasukuni War Shrine. Instead, he sent an, a ritual offering. Uh, and likewise, it marked his fourth ritual offering, not yeah, his yeah. fourth visit that's since right. taking office last year. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the reason why I wanted to make that uh, emphasis uh, that, uh, you know, they basically when they're a prime minister, they send uh, rituals, but once they leave office, that's when they start uh, making these uh, uh, actual visits to the Yasus Kuni Shrine. But uh, thank you very much for that correction there, Don. My apologies. Uh, guys, thank you very much for your report today. As always, please stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.